the preachers asked me to make an emphasis on the family during these days. I'm going to give you today one rule for the family. Now, I'm conscious that whenever I preach on the family, there are those who think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm a single person. I'm living by myself. Uh, we don't have any children anymore. But this rule will work for everybody. Here's what the Lord Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore, all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Flip over to Luke chapter 6 and you'll find a slightly closer version to the one that you quoted, the liberal NIV version that you quoted. <laughs> Verse 30, Jesus said, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being in this great church with my friend, Brother Monty. Thank you for the fabulous work that you're doing here. The Lord, I'd like to be a help, but I can no more help them than you help me. So I pray, Spirit of God, that you would empower me and direct me, that I would say all but only the things you want said. And we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, 1902, a man started a store in Kemmerer, Wyoming. His name was James Cash. No relation to Johnny. And uh, he said, I'm going to treat my customers really well. And I'm going to treat my employees really well. In fact, he didn't call them employees, he called them associates. And the store became known as the Golden Rule Store. James Cash. Well, he was James Cash Penny. J.C. Penny. And the story started his travel around the world. And is still in existence today. Sears is gone. Kmart's gone, thank God. <laughs> I always said Walmart is of God and Kmart is of the devil. That was just my own theological position. But J.C. Penny is still around. Now I'm intrigued by what the Lord Jesus said. He said, all things, whatsoever you would dimension do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I want you to think about the reach of the golden rule. The reach of the golden rule. All of the law. Many of you think we ought to obey the Ten Commandments. Think we ought to do that. How many of you could quote the Ten Commandments? Well, you're in a heap of trouble. You just obligated yourself to something you don't even know what it is. But there are more than Ten Commandments in the Bible. I think I read that there are 430 commandments in the Bible. How many of you know all 430? How many of you think I know all 430? How many of you think your pastor knows all 430? He probably does. One of the smartest people I know. If I was on who wants to be a millionaire, I'd want him as one of my lifelines. Except in popular culture, he wouldn't do so well, neither would I. <laughs> and 
Jesus said, I'll give you a shortcut. You get this one principle and it will help you keep the entire law. Wow, I like shortcuts. God willing, on Tuesday night, I'm going to give you a shortcut. If I could, uh, if you be here one message of the days I'm scheduled to be here, I think I'd want you to be here, every one of them. But if you only be one, I think I want you to be Tuesday night. Vital, vital principle for the family. But here is the Lord Jesus. He said, all the law says the same thing in Romans. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love working the will to his neighbor, Jesus said in Matthew 22. Now, not only that, but there are more things in the Bible than just commandments. There are prophetic utterances. I believe in the body that there is a hierarchy of truth in the Bible. Number one is commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. But there are not commandments for every situation. There is no commandment that says help little old ladies across the street. But there are Bible principles. And principles are valuable and binding in all ages and in all circumstances. And the Bible says that you have opportunity to go to all men. Especially those with household of faith. That's a principle that would make the upper little old lady across the street, even if she didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, for example, the Bible says, Thou will give him a perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Now, that's not a command, but it's a principle. If you're having trouble, if you're having turmoil, if you're disturbed, if you're upset, the likelihood is you're not thinking about God enough. Get your mind off your troubles on the Lord. That's a principle. Now, let's just settle it real early here. That none of us love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I'll prove it to you. You're driving home. You get near your neighborhood, you see smoke, big pillars of smoke up in the air. Bright orange flame underneath. Your heart begins beating faster. You unconsciously push down and accelerate. It's in your neighborhood. It's on your block. It's near where you live. You drive up and you go, praise God. I am so glad it's my house on fire and not my neighbor's. Nobody says that. And Jesus said, look it. If you get this, it'll be all the law and all the prophets. There was a rabbi named Hillel. He was the founder of the Pharisees. He lived about uh, 50 years, 40 years before Christ. And a man who was a Gentile came to Hillel and he said, if you can explain the entire law to me while standing on one foot, I will become a Jew. Now, he's pretty sure he had him because the Jews are the original bureaucrats. God gave five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the Jews, they, that's called the Torah. The Jews wrote 50 books to explain those five books. That's called the Talmud. 
And the guy said, you explain all law to me while standing in one foot, I'll become a Jew. The law said, do not do anything to your neighbor you would not want him to do to you. That's the whole law, the rest is explanation. But the Lord Jesus did what he always does and he took it a step further. Remember he said it's not enough not to kill your brother, you shouldn't hate him either. Not enough not to commit adultery, you shouldn't look on a woman to lust on her either. And he said it's not enough not to do the bad things to your neighbor that you would not want done to you. The filter gets stuck every once in a while makes a funny noise like that. And by the way, I should tell you, this does not hurt. It doesn't hurt me to talk. I don't get sore. I get tired because it's harder to get my breath this way. But I, uh, I may have a coughing spell. If I have a coughing spell, you're going to think I'm going to die. But you will not be that lucky. <laughs> my wife's hoping I die before I'm 77. That's when my life insurance ends. <laughs> Lord Jesus said, I want you to think what you would want done to you and do it to others. The reach of the golden rule, all the laws, all the, all the Bible principles. But notice the requirements of the golden rule. What am I going to have to do if I'm going to obey the golden rule? Number one, I would recommend, I would suggest that it requires us to be aware. I cannot treat my neighbor like I would want to be treated if I were in their position, if I don't know them. If I don't know what they like, what they dislike. I pastored First Baptist Church of Bridgeport for 44 years. Everyone's while out of a big staff meeting, all the staff together at one time. We did it early in the morning, that's the only time we could get anybody, everybody together. And uh, one of the first times I did it, I bought a bunch of biscuits from McDonald's. There are no Chick-fil-A's in our area. I live in a poor, benighted part of the world. 45 minutes from a Costco, hour from a Chick-fil-A. Well, now there's one in Flint, 30 minutes from a Chick-fil-A. But they need the gospel just. I went around the room and I said to everybody, tell me one thing you're excited about and one thing you're praying for. Everybody did that. When we got all done, I went and I said, you tell me what she's praying for. You tell me what he's excited about. And the general answer was, uh, then if they had it right, I let them get a biscuit. If they didn't, I made them wait till the biscuits were cold. <laughs> Most of us go through life with blinders on. We are focused on our lives, our situation, our families, or we're vaguely aware of others. But we're not really aware. The Bible says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Why? One reason we take prayer requests. We believe in the power of prayer, we believe God answers prayer, but we believe it's really good for our people to know what other people are dealing with. What their burdens are, what their struggles are. 
requires me to be aware. I have to know what's going on with other people. Number two, it requires me to be alienated. It possible that neither count I my life dear unto myself. Wow. It is popular today. Your church has not done this, and I'm glad. To have a church develop a target audience. Rick Warren at Saddleback Sam, he was the model that they were trying to reach. Interestingly, almost everybody targets young, upwardly mobile professionals. Now the Bible gives us the target. The target is the world. The target is every creature. But there was a man years ago who had a target audience, first one I know of. His name was William Booth, and he started the Salvation Army. And he deliberately went after the people nobody else wanted. The poor, the drunkards, the downtrodden, the dregs of society. William Booth had done that for years, and his eyes began to have trouble. He went to the doctor, and it was the responsibility of one of William Booth's sons to say to him, Dad, the doctor says not only are your eyes not going to get better, they're going to get worse. You will one day go entirely blind. Imagine that. Devoted his life to helping people that could not help him back. And now he's going to go blind. William Booth said, I have served God all these years with my eyes. Now I shall serve him without them. Requires me to be alienated. Requires me to be aware. It requires me to have the right attitude. Let nothing be done, the Bible says, through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You're having meals before the service Monday and Tuesday. I don't know if you have it catered or have everybody eat the same thing, or if you're bringing dishes, but I love Baptist potlucks. Now, my favorite pie is a pecan pie. Warmed up with vanilla ice cream and a very generous serving of caramel. That's marble. Good stuff. So you're going through the line. Your favorite dessert is there. There's one piece left. And the person behind you says, Oh, good. They have such and such. What's your reaction? Better grab it quick. <laughs> Better get it before they do. The Bible says, let each esteem other better than themselves. I was preaching in a church in Virginia years ago for the Monty. There was an evangelist there. I vaguely heard of him. I met him. He's talking to me before the service. And he said, yeah, I was preaching at a church the other Sunday. I was preaching in church, not in Sunday school. I sit in the auditorium during Sunday school, and this guy came up and he said, you're sitting in my seat. And the evangelist said, I told him I don't see your name on it. The guy said, well, I sit there every week. 
The evangelist said, you're not sitting there this week. And then the evangelist said to me, you should have seen his face when I got up to preach. Yeah, I bet that guy got right with God. I bet he had revival. And I said to the evangelist, well, imagine what his response would have been if you had graciously allowed him to have his chair and seat, and then you got up to preach. Here's what the evangelist said. Oh, I never thought about that. That's our problem. We never think that way. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Some of you remember Paul Harvey used to be on the radio every day. Told the story of a wealthy older lady in a Mercedes in a very busy parking lot trying to find a decent spot. She saw a lady backing out of a spot and she waited patiently as the lady put her packages in the trunk, got in the car, if you ever waited for somebody to have a parking spot, what are they doing in there? They sit in there for hours. The car's running, the lights are on. No movement. Come on, get out of there. It's not an airplane. You don't have other buying things on a checklist. You can put the seatbelt on later, but she will. And just as the car started to pull out, a young kid in a Corvette zipped in and took that parking spot. She opened the window and she said, hey, you can't do that, that's my spot. He barely looked back as he walked away. He just said, sorry, lady, that's how it is when you're young and fast. He hadn't taken two more steps. And he heard, <laughs> and he turned around and she had rammed her Mercedes in the back of his Corvette. Corvettes are typically made of fiberglass. Mercedes are made of sterner stuff. This car fared the worst in that encounter. And it was devastated with pride and joy. And now it's been wrecked. And he said, you can't do that. That's my car. She said, sorry, Sonny. That's how it is when you're old and rich. <laughs> we love that story because it appeals to our flesh. <laughs> but Jesus said, don't do that. It requires me to be aware. It requires me to be alienated. It requires me to have the right attitude. One more requirement. You get hold of this principle. You'll do your very best. If you'll put it on a three by five card and have it on the mirror in the morning when you get up, if you put it on the refrigerator, if you have it pop up on your board every 20 minutes, and you do your very, very best, you will fail. Because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. It requires us to be anointed. It requires us to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we've looked at the reach of the golden rule, the requirements of the golden rule. Think for me for a moment about the results of golden rule. What would happen if I lived by this great truth that Jesus said is so vital and so important? I'm just saying all the law and the prophets. Well, number one, it would change my expectations. 
My dad made up an ancient Chinese proverb. He ran the Detroit Rescue Mission at a fabulous ministry. Got him out of debt, money in the bank, brand new building, clinic, ladies in ministry, cat ministry, radio ministry. He left to go into evangelism. And he got the idea that the board was going to buy him an automobile when he left. They had plenty of money, they could do it easily. And they gave him nothing. They were mad at him for leaving. So my dad made up an ancient Chinese problem. Blessed is the man who expects nothing, for he shall not be disappointed. Jesus told us that. We have to start the parables of the laborers in the vineyard. And the people worked an hour, got a full day's wage, and the one worked 12 hours, they got the same wage, which they had been promised. But the Bible says they supposed that they should have received more. When I started traveling, my wife said, honey, if you set up a budget, I said, no. I believe in budgets. I have a lot of people set up budgets. My book under pressure. About a third of it is about finances. I got to get it out of debt on a set up a budget. I said, no. She said, why not? I said, honey, if I had a budget, every church I went to, I'd be wondering if they're going to meet my budget. I don't need to go wondering what church is going to meet my budget. I need to go trying to serve God, trying to be a help, trying to be a blessing. Yeah, all of your disappointments are due to your expectations. That's exactly right. And the Lord said, don't look around thinking what people are going to do for you. Think what you can do for them. It'll change my expectations. I heard about a wealthy lady and her birthday was coming up. She said to her husband, you didn't do very well last year. I'm not going to tell you what to get me this year, but when I get up on my birthday, there better be something new and shiny sitting in the driveway. It can go from zero to 200 really fast. She got up, ran out in the driveway, and sure enough, there was a brand new shiny scale. change my expectations. <laughs> Second result, it'll change my enjoyment. Increase my enjoyment. I read a survey. They tried to figure out what made people happy. They found out rich people were happy and rich people were unhappy. Poor people happy and unhappy, sick people, well people. But they found one common denominator in people who were happy that they had lower expectations. That's right. That is so good. If I'm hoping you shake my hand and you also smile, that's a blessing. If I'm expecting a dollar and you give me five, that's a blessing. If I'm expecting 50 and you give me 40, I'm upset. It'll increase my enjoyment. I knew a preacher one time. His church was very good to him, and he ought to be good to your preacher. In one year, for some event, they gave him a book. Now, that wasn't what they normally done. 
the boogie wanted. They'd gone to some trouble to get it. And he opened the book and said, well, there's something in here, isn't there? You people are more generous than that. And he flipped through the pages, he didn't find anything. He picked the book up by its covers and held it upside down and shook it out and nothing came out. Embarrassing. Because he had a higher expectation and he couldn't have enjoyment. It'll increase my enjoyment. It'll change my expectations. It will eliminate enmity, envy. And then finally, it'll make me a better example. 1963, John F. Kennedy stood outside the entrance to the University of Alabama. He had called in federal troops to require that segregated school to integrate. And John F. Kennedy said, the heart of the question is, are we going to treat our fellow man as we would want to be treated? I have a nephew who's been to your church with my brother-in-law, Dr. Doug Jackson, Clint. Clint has Down syndrome. He's a great kid. He's a lot of fun. Clint uh, ushers at his church. That's his ministry. And if you don't put any money in the offering, he stands there and holds the plate and looks at you. Amen. <laughs> a lady was singing a solo one time, and the introduction was rather long, and she hadn't started to sing, and Clint thought she ought to be singing, and he said out loud, sing it, sing it, hot lips. <laughs> so this story is very special to me. I, uh, Heard about a little boy had Down syndrome, and he was in a public school in a regular class. They used to do that. They called it mainstreaming. It was Valentine's Day. I don't know what it's like here when I was a boy growing up in Detroit. You'd buy little Valentine's cards and give them to some of your classmates. Here's the little boy that's never chosen till the end when they have teams. Here's the little boy that never knows the answer to the question. Here's the boy that nobody asks to sit with him at lunch. And he said, Mom, I want to get a valentine for everybody in my class. She was touched by his thoughtfulness, his tenderness, but she was worried. What if he gave everybody a valentine and nobody gave him one? So they went to the store, and they laboriously made out a Valentine's card for everybody in the class. He dropped them off in the morning, and all day long she worried, all day long she wondered, all day long she said, please, Lord, have somebody give him a card. And she went to pick him up. His head was down. As he walked toward the car, she saw his mouth was moving. She opened the window and she heard her son say, not one. Not one. Not a single one. And her heart broke. This sweet boy wanted to remember everybody in his class and not one of them thought of him.
He said it again. Not one. Not one. Not a single one. He didn't seem upset. He didn't seem unhappy. He got in the car. Said, not one, Mom. Yeah, we got a leak. I'll fix it later. But I'll have a great ministry to junior high boys. <laughs> said, not one, Mom, not one. I didn't miss a single one. Amen. I didn't forget a single one. May I say, that Down Syndrome boy understood and lived the golden rule better than I do. And probably better than you do. You know to revolutionize your family? Your church, your Sunday school class, your group of friends, your ministry, all things. Therefore, whatsoever you would, the men should do to you to even sort of them. This is the law and the prophets. Lord, speak to our hearts. What a difference our families would enjoy, our marriages. Our service for you, our whole spirit of it, an attitude of life. If we get hold of this principle, hope it to be so. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I'm not asking you to leave your seat this morning. But I wonder who would say, Look, well, that I'm God's child, heaven is my home. I'd go to heaven by night right now, not because I deserve it, but because I believe in the Lord Jesus. But I need to apply whatever today. Pray for me. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. Lord, thank you for these many hands. Help, I pray, our lives to be different because of what you've told us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.